Hello ladies, my name is Georgia Edwards and I am delighted to be here today to share Miriam's story with you. This is the story of the Exodus, of Moses' sister, one of the leaders of the Exodus and the first prophetess of Israel. It is a story of family and tribe, of hope through trial in the desert. A story of first a child, then a woman, who helped the great prophet Moses lead her people out of bondage in Egypt to enter the promised land. The Exodus is the defining experience of the Jewish people, and Miriam was one of its heroes. First, a word about sources. Miriam is referenced only seven places in scripture. This is very little text. But just as we have our Catholic writings and mystical reflections on scripture from the saints and church fathers, so the Jews have several thousand years of commentary on their sacred heroes. These commentaries are called Midrash, and there are countless written about Miriam, some of which I selected for this talk. You may have chosen different sources to enrich your own understanding of this lesson. If so, I hope you will share with your group. It's all part of the great biblical conversation, the Bible ever fresh and new. Miriam was a Jewish slave child in Egypt sometime in the 13th century before Christ. But to understand her story and the meaning of the Exodus, we return to the Garden of Eden. Their creation was intended to live with God in a harmony of love freely offered and freely accepted. As we know from scripture, this intention of unity proved too challenging for Adam and Eve, who pursued their own desires over God's will. And for this, they were put out of the garden. They were displaced. But God did not abandon them. He did not start over with better models of humanity, but as a first act of faithfulness, put them out, then sent them out to begin the journey of return because he loved them. And love always seeks union. That's the physics of God. God remained present to them through prayer, sacrifice, and rare moments of divine intervention. Life was a struggle, punctuated by sin, as mankind exercised its free will. God at times lost his temper. He even flooded the earth, but he never abandoned his people. He chose Abram of Mesopotamia to become the father of his people sent him to Canaan, where his faith was tested, his name changed, and where God entered into a covenant with now Abraham and his descendants as the chosen people of God. God also gifted Abraham with the promised land where the chosen would be able to live in peace and harmony. It would take a while. They didn't get there right away, wandering first into slavery in Egypt, staying there for some 400 years. For the Jews, slavery and separation seemed their lot. Displacement seemed unalterable. And so we enter the chaotic time of Miriam in the 13th century. In act one of her life, as a young girl of six or seven, the Jews are numerous and Pharaoh fears they will become too powerful to control. He instructs Jewish midwives to kill male Jewish babies at birth. Horrified, Miriam's father, a leader of the Israelites, directs the Jewish men to separate from their wives so there will be no babies to kill. For their part, the midwives, fearing God, kill no infants. 
They tell Pharaoh that the Hebrew women were lively and had their babies without midwives in the fields. They were women of extraordinary courage. Scripture tells us, and God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives wives feared God. The Hebrew commentaries believe that Miriam and her mother, Jochebed, were the two midwives mentioned in scripture, Shipra and Puah. From the beginning, Miriam was tuned to the fertility and continuity of her people. Most important, the Midrash said, God had already placed a prophecy in her heart that her mother would give birth to the deliverer of the Israelites, a son who was yet to be born. For this reason, the girl confronted her father about his separation from her mother, accusing him of being worse than Pharaoh because her father's way meant no babies, male or female, would be born. The Midrash says she shined her faith on her father. Her father believed her, and some time later, Moses was born. Of course, we all know the story of Moses in the basket at the river. The text says Miriam stood on the bank watching at a distance. She had spoken her truth to her father, and now all she could do was wait, stand alone with her faith in God's providence. And of course, God did provide. Moses was rescued by all the women who gathered at the Nile that day. Moses was raised in the palace and eventually immaturity met with his destiny as deliverer of the Israelites. We know this story. God sent trial after trial to Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let his people go so Moses could lead them to freedom. Plagues, locusts, frogs, until with the final trial of the angel of death through the taking of the firstborn of every household, Pharaoh relented and the Israelites departed Egypt in haste, not even waiting for their bread to rise. Pharaoh being Pharaoh, he changed his mind, of course, and sent his soldiers to recapture his slaves. God's providence came through again. He parted the waters of the sea. The Israelites crossed in safety, and the Egyptians were crushed. Moses led the people in prayer and song commemorating their rescue. Miriam led the women in song and dance also, a circle dance, they say, giving praise to the Lord. Well, that's the exciting part of the Exodus story. Ahead of them lay the desert, a wide, open, empty wilderness, which physically and metaphorically represented an arduous journey to the longed-for promised land, the journey back to full life with God. Scripture says it was a 40-year walk 40 in biblical language symbolizing a few things. First, simply a long time. In a straight line, the journey would have taken less than a month. But the Exodus was not just a period of travel. It was a period of strengthening and formation as God's people. Their leader, Moses, was their anointed one who spoke directly with God. Aaron, his brother, served as priest and communicator to the people. And Miriam led the women developing their love of God in the home. At Mount Sinai, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God, which formalized a structure for living. And the Jews' experience of overcoming adversity in the desert bonded them as community. And so the number 40 is also understood as a time of trial, 
reflection, or the time before the new beginning. Miriam's leadership was faithful, but it was not without conflict. Scripture says she and Aaron criticized Moses because after many years he had taken an Ethiopian wife in marriage. Numerous explanations are offered for this in the commentaries. One of them determined that actually Moses had left his physical marriage to his wife Zipporah because God had claimed a unique relationship with Moses and had called him to celibacy. Miriam, with God's prophecy on her heart and her midwife's instinct for the sanctity of ordinary family life, could not fathom this decision. She spoke her mind as she had as a child, but this time God rebuked her and punished her because her prophetic gift was not the same as that of Moses. Her brother was on a different plane. God put Miriam outside the camp for seven days, in effect displacing her. But there was a saving grace in this public humiliation. The Israelites did not shun her. They waited for her. Miriam had walked with them, taught and tended them for years, and now they helped bear the burden of her shame by waiting. I have to think this was evidence of a people bonding together as a caring community. And personally, I'd like to think this pleased God. She died before reaching the promised land. Moses and Aaron too would die ahead of their arrival. Moses did not trust God's instructions for extracting water from a rock. So God told him he would not accompany his people into the promised land. A mysteriously harsh blow after a lifetime of devotion. But there is mystery with God. He would tell the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years later, my ways are not your ways. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were legendary leaders of their people, but their leadership was not perfect, although their journey was perfecting. The Exodus became the touchstone for remembering God's faithfulness. The prayers, songs, and worship liturgies of the Jews, both in temple and at home, would tell the story of Moses and his people over and over again. The prophets shouted often, Remember, the Lord brought us out of Egypt because to believe is to remember. The risk of falling away from God was always there, even after they entered Canaan. There would be new kinds of displacement, exile, warfare, internal decay. Scripture shows a pattern when faith declines, a cycle of forgetting and remembering whose they were and how God wanted them to live. Does this sound familiar? We know this pattern too. I want to leave you today with one particular image, Miriam at the sea. When the Israelites were safely across and the waters had crashed over the Egyptians, the men broke out in song to proclaim God's greatness and thank him for their rescue. But the Midrash says Miriam led the women not only in song, but in dance as well. And they did this while they were still racing across the seabed because while they had not waited for the bread to rise before leaving Egypt, they had taken the time to pack their tambourines. And this is the inside of this story. Always be prepared to praise. The women had a faith so deep and profound, they lived as if they expected miracles, ready 
eager to praise God with songs of joy in the midst of their chaos. We need these songs now, ladies. We need visible, audible praise in this chaos. We might even need a circle dance. Miriam's name means bitter sea because she was always connected with water, but her name also alludes to the fact she entered history during a most bitter time for her people. Well, these are bitter times for us too. Joy is, joy is scarce. I especially feel among our young people, our young adults. So many seem lost in fear and anger. They don't know yet that life's flight path is not always ascending, that there will always be another impediment to the dream and no way to prevent all adversity. This is why the psalmists and prophets wrote over and over again to praise the Lord now, no matter what, through the joy and through the sorrow. Decay invades my bones, shattered Habakkuk the prophet. My legs tremble beneath me. But though the fig tree blossoms not, nor fruit be on the vines, though the flocks disappear from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and exult in my saving God, God my Lord, who is my strength. Each of us could recite this prayer with our own list of perils. Though our politics is killing us and the virus rages on, though my eyes and ears are failing and the unborn are not safe, yet. The prophet always drops us on that word, yet. Yet I will praise the Lord. And suddenly our trajectory changes. Our prayer starts to climb. This is where Miriam entered the circle dance on the yet of all her fears. She sang and danced with the confidence of one who expects miracles. And when we praise like that and sing with a voice of adoration, the Lord placed in us from the beginning. When we let fly unbridled love for the one who loved us first and loves us always, we unite with him. We are no longer displaced. He catches us, holds us, wraps us in his peace. Truly, I have learned from experience, it is physically impossible to hold on to fear while we pour out praise. I will close with a short poem by Ruth Son. I shall sing a new song to the Lord. The first line reads, I, Miriam, stand at the sea, but we could use any of our names. I, Karen. I, Patty, I, Betty Ann, stand at the sea. We all have songs God longs to hear. I, Miriam, stand at the sea and turn to face the desert, stretching endless and still. My eyes are dazzled, the sky brilliant blue, sunburnt sands unyielding white, my hands turn to dove wings. My arms reach for the sky, and I want to sing the song rising inside me. My mouth open. I stop. Where are the words? Where the melody? In a moment of panic, my eyes go blind. 
Can I take a step without knowing a destination? Will I falter? Will I fall? Will the ground sink away from under me? The song still unformed. How can I sing? To take the first step, to sing a new song, is to close one's eyes and dive into unknown waters for a moment knowing nothing, risking all. And then to discover the waters are friendly, the ground is firm, and the song, the song rises again out of my mouth. And the words come lifting the wind, and I hear for the first the song that has been in my heart, silent, unknown, even to me. Shine your faith on the world, ladies, and pack your tambourines. I end with these lines of prayer. Oh God, I adore you. I give myself to you. May I be the person you want me to be, and may your will be done in my life today. God bless you, ladies.